Hey, Hawk family and community, and welcome back to the podcast. And those of you who are new, thank you for joining in. I hope today becomes an impact for you. Today, we're going to be discussing about individualism and also about self-awareness. And I am so excited that I'm going to have Juan Rivera here with me today. I'm so excited because he is has a whole bunch of experience. And not only that, but he has been a connection of mine. I've had a coach online with him. He's someone that I respect tremendously, and I look forward to him being able to educate me and you guys, because like I always say, I'm not better than you. I'm learning with you. Are you there? I'm here. Thanks for that intro right there. That was awesome. <laughs> How have you been? Not bad. Very busy. It's uh it's been a hectic summer, uh, and I'm sure that's the same for everybody in every field. But in the baseball world, especially in the travel baseball world, we had our spring season, which got obviously postponed, but then it got smashed into our summer season. So we had spring and summer happening at the same time. I thought I was going to be able to do it, no problem. But holy smokes, like the <laughs> I, I I completely forgot how much time is put into just one team and now to do that times two in a condensed period of time was was hectic but it was fun uh, also a blessing to just have the type of players that we have that were able to go through the same thing with uh, not only myself but our coaching staff and really just get not uh, get through the summer is probably a bad way of saying it because I felt like it ended up being as normal as we can possibly make it uh, albeit mask wearing and a lot of purell that's that's awesome to hear and i'm looking forward to seeing you know all the the baseball programs getting back on their feet and getting back out there because man do we all miss baseball very much uh, so i i want you to go ahead and uh, tell a little bit more about your background and your experience in baseball and as a coach as a player i love for them to to actually see and know that you have quite a bit of an arsenal and knowledge base and experience behind you. Yeah, no, for sure. Thanks. Uh, so, I mean, if you guys didn't hear, my name is Juan Rivera. I am currently the uh, pitching coordinator for Antonelli Baseball. If anybody follows Matt Antonelli online, he has a huge following on Instagram. We have a giant YouTube channel that we have. I mean, you can find our philosophies and a lot of fun stuff too. We play. We play video games online. We'll play MLB The Show online on live stream. That's always fun. But um, yeah, I, I work for Antonelli Baseball as the pitching coordinator. I've been doing that. This is now going to be my third year doing that. Uh, I fell in love with it because prior to this, I coached at the college level for seven years. So I was at the college level for seven years and I decided to take a break just personally, mentally. Um, the, the college game was very difficult for me to go through. Uh, it, I now realize that it didn't really fit my personality and, uh, what I wanted to be as a coach, the way that, that I thought it would, uh, because the second, the second I left college baseball, I emailed Matt Antonelli and I gave him my resume and I said, Hey man, I'm taking a year off. Here's my resume. Do you mind if I just come hang out? You don't have to pay me or anything like that. He let me come to the facility. 
uh, gave me my own cage and said, go after it, do whatever you want. And after that night, he was like, wow, that was, that was awesome, which made me feel good because it kind of gave me affirmation of the things that I was doing at the college level uh, is kind of the way it should be done or somewhat should be done, um, especially coming from him because, you know, he got drafted in the first round. He played major league baseball. Like he's been around, he's been around for him to kind of give me that affirmation was great. And I ended up falling in love with the player development aspect of what we do at Antonelli baseball. And I never turned back after that year. I said, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, this is where I want to be just player development, focusing on how to create better people, students and baseball players. And that to me was so much better than what I I always call college baseball coaching, a popsicle headache. You ever get like a a brain freeze? Yeah. That's, That's, that's coaching at the college level is just a constant brain freeze. Like that's the best way I can describe it. Um, (laughs) at least my experience. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. Prior to coaching, I played. Um, I played at the college level, um, was very fortunate enough to travel a lot at the high school level and play all around the country and uh, all around uh, in different countries as well. Um, so that was that was always a fun experience of mine, but I've always had a passion for teaching. Uh, It's something that my high school and college coach both saw early. I didn't really know that um, until they gave me free reign to help other kids, which I thought was weird, especially when I was in college, where my college coach said, hey, I think you can help him. And I'm sitting there like, wait, I'm a junior and I'm setting up the closer. Like, what do you mean help him? He's like, go talk to him, go coach him up. coach him up I was like uh okay so I did that um and just seeing that trust now now that I'm 32 years old now uh now looking back at my college experience I'm like man my college coach was the man like he had so much trust in me and like talking to kids he he saw that I was a coach before I saw I was a coach um which was great so that's kind of like my experience just traveling playing and then ever the second I graduated college I started applying for college jobs was very fortunate enough to get one right away and stayed there for seven years and now I'm in my third year with Antonelli baseball that's awesome to hear and that's cool um and that's funny that that you said that because uh about the coaching and the coaches letting you become the coaches uh last week uh one of my my, my coach he said hey I need you to go help this guy out uh, he needs to work on on his his release point, and and you can help him out with that. I know you can. Uh, go do that with him, and and we'll we'll be doing our stuff over here. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting dynamic when a coach gives you that rein when you're still a player, um, and it, it was cool. So I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah, so it was cool. It was a great experience, too, because then I got to learn from him, too, from different aspects of what he was talking about and why he felt this type of way when he was pitching and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, okay, that's different. That's unique. Uh, here's what I I can see from that. And then it I was able to help him with that. And so then it was really cool to see that. And so I think what is really important 
is the next thing that we're going to be talking about, which is individualism. And when it comes to individualism coaching specifically, I'd love for you to talk about that because I think uh, now nowadays when we see coaching and training, we see more and more clinics being ran rather than one-on-one lessons being ran. And of course, there's some money involved in that because you can make more money typically from uh, clinics and stuff like that. However, when it comes to individual coaching, I am going to let you take the ring on this because I want to learn from you and get your perspective on it. And so when it comes to individualism and coaching and training, what does that look like for you? And also, what is that to you? So it's, it's a very loaded question because there's, there's are a lot of variables that come into play, uh, in my opinion, in my view, in how to train an athlete. Uh, I have a very individualistic approach to coaching when it comes to uh, training guys. And just because you said like clinic versus one-on-ones, like I run two clinics per year and you're right. Like I, I do that to share knowledge, but then the financial aspect it is very beneficial, right? So, but I, I only want to do two because I love, love, like what really invigorates me as a coach is like that one-on-one face-to-face, eyeballs to eyeballs, just communication, talking things out and trying to figure something out. I, I love that aspect. So outside of those two clinics, I never, ever, ever have more than two people within a 90 minute span ever. And I tell the parents that I'm like, listen, my approach is this. And I promise you, I'll never have more than one other person with your son. Um, And I I think it's big for development uh, because you get not only development of the player, but development as a coach too, because you learn a ton about the human body and you you learn about how different uh, structurally built people are able to move. I think movement, is the key and the essence to everything uh, athletically and even just life in general. So when you can really bear down and create this baseline assessment on a player and break down where their weaknesses are, where their flaws are, but also where their strengths are, you, you want to be able to pinpoint those things and enhance the things they're great at and really attack uh, their flaws. And I don't think at least for me, I'm able to do that in a group setting. Um, I have to do that in that one-on-one type setting. I think that's the best way to, it's the best way to, to train guys. It, it gets them to develop at a much faster rate than if they were to just go into a facility and train in groups of 10 to 15 and just really work under this broad umbrella of these are our philosophies um, without really seeing the kid. Uh, and, and I think, I think it's, it's pivotal for, uh, parents, if any parents listen to this or any players listen to this, to really go to people who are, or go to coaches who are looking at how your son or daughter move as opposed to maybe mechanical flaws, uh, because again, I think movement is is everything. If you can move better, your mechanics are going to be ten times better without even having to like dive into into that realm. Um, so again, 
individually training guys, pinpointing what, what their flaws are, trying to fix those things, and then trying to enhance the things that they do well. On top of that, when you're in this one-on-one -on -one individual setting, you're able to understand how you should be communicating to this one particular person. Uh, some, some kids, you know, to use two extremes, some kids react very well to being barked at. Some kids react poorly. Some kids react very well for when you just put your arm around them and talk them through things. Some kids are very analytic. Some kids just need to know, like, see ball, hit ball, right? Some kids just that. That's all you need to tell them, and they freaking do it, and it, it makes your job, <laughs> job easier. Um, but in the communication piece of it, you're able to, to really enhance the way that you can speak to people by understanding the psychology behind teaching and the psychology behind how am I going to make this player better by the way and the form that I put words together, my tonality, X, Y, Z. Um, but it's there's so many different variables to how you want to individualistically train somebody that I can go on forever about this because the layers are just endless. Do we have a few days to be able to do that? <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's, it's a lot. And, it's I, a and lot. I, I think I, could, I, would, I would be able to have that conversation with you all day too because I, one, I want to learn from you. And two, I think there's, like you said, there's so many different components to, to really, to an individual. It's not just like, oh, you know, this is the mechanics of baseball and here's the platform and here's the program and here what you can do and go do it. it. There's a lot of, you know, different aspects and sure we can simplify it, but at the end of the day, even if we simplify it, human beings and kids and adult parents, we're not all that simple. No, we're not. And I'm, to, to give you like an example, like I, I think we, we can all really dive into mechanics. I think if you love baseball as a coach, everybody may have their own cues. Everybody may have their own like belief system on what they want to see mechanically. But like, for instance, I had this player, right? He does a very poor job uh, delaying internal rotation of the back hip while he's driving in his linear move down the mountain. So he, he really struggled doing that, right? And I can tell him until the cows come home that we need to be in a stronger position by feeling an external rotation of the femur. But we find out that he had very poor hip abduction. So if you have very poor hip abduction, I can tell you a million times, doesn't matter how I say it, how many different words I use to say it, to kind of sustain that external rotation, he can't freaking do it because his body won't allow him to do it. So instead of sitting on a mound and just trying to get him to do the movement, maybe once out of every 20 pitches, we just stretched for 20 minutes. And I showed him 20 minutes worth of stretching that are going to open up the hip socket in the joint that are going to allow him to move better with his femur. His femur is going to move more freely. And we did that for like four to six weeks. And without ever training the mechanic and just doing that six weeks later, he's, he does it every single time, every that's single time. Awesome. And, and yeah. that's what you're, you're talking about as far as uh, coaches that are taking the time to, 
see how the player moves, correct? I think it's huge. Yeah, 100%. So that's, that's, that's one example that you're expressing like, hey, yeah, granted, you know, we can talk about the mechanic, but it's important to also find that coach or individual that also is looking for how that player specifically moves and how their body is in motion. Yeah, 100%. That's awesome to hear because I actually did the same thing, by the way, Um, because you pointed that out to me. You said, hey, I don't know if you have, you know, tight hamstrings or, you know, you don't have that much uh, hip mobility because you're you're uh, stabilizing, but you're still rotating a little early. And so then I, I was looking into that. Then I started my goal for last month going in to the end of the month was to stretch and take more initiative in getting more flexible. And as a result, I've been able to stabilize on my back leg more. Oh, that's fantastic. And easier I... without even thinking about it anymore. Before before stretching and becoming more mobile and flexible, I, I would literally think about it the whole time. I'm like, stabilize on the back leg, stabilize on the back leg, stabilize on the back leg. And then when you pointed out, hey, I don't know if you have, you know, if your hamstrings are tight or if you're you're not um, as flexible, but you might want to look into that. And and it was right because now I don't even think about it; it just happened. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's awesome. Like that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's just you can you can think about doing stuff, but the goal is to never think about it at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, so and, now and, it makes it easier on me on the mound too because I'm not thinking about stabilizing on the back leg. All I'm thinking about is, hey, where's the glove? What do you want me to execute and go? Yeah, it's about priming the body for movement. If you can prime your body for movement, the likelihood of you being mechanically sound, quote unquote, is going to be so much higher. Absolutely. And so um, we talked about individual and how we got to make sure that we look into each athlete both in their pros and cons as an athlete but I would love to go into the aspect of hey I don't actually have the my family or myself doesn't have the financial means to go and get a one-on-one coaching or go to a clinic or anything but I use online and so Mm -hmm. when it comes to going online you know of course there's some bad and good in that because, of course, there's going to be people who are going to just post stuff. In the media world, we post stuff for two things. One, education. Two, attention. And I feel that there are plenty of, uh, you know, drills that you and I can point out that are horrible examples of drills not to do. Um, but then at the same time, we could argue that, well, Maybe it's not necessarily the best drill, but if it does help an athlete in that particular reason or way, then sure, it's okay. But this is where individual and self-awareness comes into play, right? A hundred percent. I think the internet is a beautiful thing to be able to provide as much free information out there. It's like, like I said, I'm, 32 years old, I didn't have any of this when I was in high school, any of it, nothing like Twitter wasn't out. 
YouTube wasn't a thing yet. Like none of this existed, none of it. Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Um, and like kids today are so fortunate to have smartphones that I don't even think they really truly understand the value. It is the best tool, like no resistant band. This sounds may sound crazy, but no resistant band, no weight room program, no plyo ball, no weighted ball, no undersized ball will ever replace the fact that you're within 30 seconds away from getting an answer to whatever your question may be, right? And, and to have the ability to go on Instagram, find a drill, and then not only find the drill, set up your phone on the side and videotape yourself doing that drill to see if it works for you. I don't think enough kids use that because it's such a tremendous, tremendous tool. And that's just like a little mini tangent that I just went on. But, <laughs> but um, I, I say this all the time to, to players uh, in our organization is if like, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you drills and I'm giving you things to do that I believe will make you better as a player, but you need to communicate back whether you feel the way that I describe it to have to feel in order to get the benefit from it. And if you don't feel a drill, it's worthless. There's nothing happening then. Like if you don't understand the concepts behind the drill and what you should properly be feeling within it when it's being performed, the drill isn't for you. And it doesn't mean that the drill is bad because somebody will feel it, right? But that one in particular isn't for you and you just need to keep finding different ones that work for you. So if you don't have the financial means to you know, to get these lessons or to go to clinics or to do whatever, if you don't have the financial means and you have a smartphone, I bet you if you sat for a two hour period of time, you could find 100 drills, write them down, go out and perform them and find five to eight that you really effing felt. And those should be the five to eight that you should do for the next six to 10 weeks. And then you reevaluate because your body's going to change right? That your movement's going to change because things are improving. So after six to 10 weeks, you do that process all over again. You spend two hours, you get a hundred different drills. Maybe some of the drills are the same that you didn't feel six weeks ago, but maybe you feel it now in week seven because of the way that you move now. Um, and I would just like recycle that process over and over and over and over again, if I didn't have like the financial means to do stuff. That that's really interesting. I actually didn't think of it that way, or even uh, look into that approach. So I like that, and I think that takes a different approach as well. And that's that's specifically going into um, drills. But let's say you know, what about the aspect of hey, you know, the getting? I want to make sure I phrase this right. So what about the aspect of maybe? of warming up the different types of ways of warming up and the different types of ways of cooling down, or should you even do either one? And then there's the aspect of, okay, when you're, is there a certain sequence of doing the different drills? Now this might be getting too deep (laughs) and getting uh, maybe to the next level, but 
would you say that going into that would be just as important? Because of course, you know, when you go to a facility or program, they give you a certain type of warm up and routine to do. But when you're not in that, you have to consider going into that. But what, let, let me get to the actual question I want to ask. You're saying that a kid wants to do, try all the drills and see if they have the same feel what they say to feel. But how how does a player go about that if they never felt it before? If they never felt it before, I mean you'll probably know if 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 you're feeling something that you've never felt before, this is this is the time where I tell uh, our guys this all the time we have certain moments within our practices where I need you to be thoughtful. And by that, it's like, okay, you throw the ball. I legit don't want you to throw another ball for 30 seconds. And I need you to freaking just think, think as deeply as you possibly can. What did I feel during that throw? Where did the ball go? Did the ball go where I wanted it to go at the velocity I wanted it to go at in the location that I wanted it to hit? If the answer is yes or no to either of those, things can change, right? Different variables. Then you have to like really go back and think, okay, I felt X, Y, and Z. I think the the best way to train that aspect, because if you've never felt it before and you have no clue what you're trying to look for, then I can definitely see some confusion. But the goal should be to, I think, to do that drill and every rep, you need to ask yourself a litany of questions of, of what you felt and work from the bottom up. What did my feet feel like? What, where were my knees, my thighs, my hips, my core, my arm? Like what did all of those things feel like when I performed that? And the ball doesn't lie. So then you have to go to the result and see what the result was and, and just be very thoughtful with it and really ask yourselves like deep driven questions. Don't just do it, like I can give a kid a drill and be like, all right, I need you to do three sets of five. And he does three sets of five without thinking anything at all. And now like the, like the mind is powerful. The mind understands what the body does and what the body just did and performed if you allow it to. So you just need to like, you, you need to be, I use the word thoughtful. You need to be very thoughtful with every rep and take your time in between to really process everything that just happened. Eventually, the human body will start understanding the feel. I like that. That that's awesome. I I think that I'm gonna need to do that more frequently because I don't do that. I don't necessarily do that every single time I go and do my bullpen or when I go and do my long toss or even when I'm just throwing and and I I make a good throw versus the bad throw. Like taking that time and second to really just see how i felt i think that's awesome and that's even for me that's for any player i think not just individuals that are trying to do different training and stuff i think that that really comes down to everyone any any player uh boy or girl that is training should consider taking that moment to think hey how did this feel and then go from there. I like that. I really 100%. like that. 100%. And there are different ways to program it. Um, like you can just, 
every every time you go to the field, maybe one set of your throws or, or swings are going to be dedicated to that, like only six to 10 swings, right? Or maybe you program it in a way where the entire day is is built around that, that aspect. Uh, there are different ways to program it, but it still should be something that you should have within your routine always, just like having that connection between like the body and what the mind is, is thinking the body is doing. Okay. Because I, I have had days where I do just specifically, like, for example, when I have uh, mechanical days, I do have a time, like when I was working on my hip rotation, I would split my legs apart and then I would just work on how did that hip rotation and driving the knee around feel like so that way I I knew how does it feel and then connecting that with my my body and my mind and then being able and then I would go and throw and then just see like oh did I feel that yeah I did okay cool and that's very important okay so you can do it that way you can do it where you're every after like even if you just did an infield play and you throw it while you're waiting in line for your next turn or for the come around the horn, you can think about that too. You could do that, right? Oh, 100%. And that's probably a great time for an infielder to do it because there's a lot of downtime. Do you know how many play, especially like off of fungos, do you know how many plays I see kids make and they make the play off the fungo, but they field the ball, the way they, they, they field the ball and threw it over, I'm like, oh boy, like that's not going to translate in the game. And, and it's like in their heads – at, at the youth level, they may think, well, the ball went in the glove. I threw it over to first. The kid caught it. And they just may see that result. But to really, like, and video comes into play here, to really feel like, all right, were my hips down? Was my back, was my butt down? Was my back flat? Was my, were my eyes behind the baseball there? Was my glove out in front of me? Did I see everything? Did I pick the right hop? Did I go through it? Were my feet still moving? Like that's where video really comes into play because you can really like, you can think you're doing it. And if you don't have the video to back up and confirm that you're doing it, um, you know, it's, it plays a big, a bigger role than most in, in the fielding aspect of it. But you're right that time because we've all been on teams and we've all been on practices where it's a 10 man line and you field the ball and you throw it or whatever the case may be, PFPs, whatever, like, what are you doing? in the between the nine other guys that are fielding the ball. And I think that's you bring up a great point. That's a great time for that to happen. And I think when it comes to practice too, you want to think about that stuff. Like I'm okay with a player not caring how they got the result to get make the play happen during a game. Oh correct. Because yeah. During a game you just gotta make it happen and do the best that you can. And then during practice though, practice is where you're you need to make mistakes and need to allow yourself to really think about how you're executing so that way you will be able to execute more efficiently and effectively when you are in the game. I totally agree. Right? Totally agree. Yep, totally agree with that. Okay, cool. So, guys, I hope that this podcast has really helped you start to think a little bit differently uh, just remember, you know, when it comes to individual coaching, self-awareness, you really got to acknowledge, hey, how am I f- 
functioning, how am I moving, and how am I doing in this aspect of the game. And I think that that's going to be a huge component to your success as an athlete on the baseball field. Uh, regardless of what level you're at, these two things that we talked about today will tremendously lead you to a higher level and the next level that you're reaching for. Uh, you know, Juan, I really appreciate it. You taking the time today to join in. Is there uh, where can people get and connect with you before we get into the last uh, three questions that I have for you? Oh yeah, I mean, for sure. the last question that I have for you. Um, cool. Well, thanks for having me on again, first and foremost. And people can find me. I'm basically at every platform that you can think of. Um, but Instagram is my first name, Juan, J-U-A-N, Cero, C-E-R-O, the number 10. That's my handle there. And it's basically my handle everywhere. But my two main platforms will be Instagram and YouTube. Uh, you can just type in uh, Juan Cero, J-U-A-N, C-E-R-O, and it should definitely pop up on both. That's awesome. And so my last question for you is that what when you said earlier – uh, in this podcast, you said that you did not have this uh, the internet when you were growing up and playing. And so when it came down to um, to your uh, training and stuff, was there a lot of experimentation for different drills that your coaches or yourself made up trying to execute a specific um, movement or a mechanical thing so now like this this is funny like i i feel like my generation's like that final last generation of like old school in terms of like what we did when we were eight through maybe 16 um i literally this is no joke this is real life two things i lived in a brick house which was huge for my development. I would come home from school and throw any ball. It could be a tennis ball. It could be a rubber ball. It could be a bouncy ball. It could be a baseball. I threw any ball up against the wall repeatedly. And if I were like, I would do this for like two to three hours without even thinking anything. And I felt like now that I understand movement, I felt like that time period really made me learn how to move my because I would field the ball and throw it wherever the spot I, I field the ball. I have so much, so much body awareness of where my arm is at all times. And I always go back to that where I was nonsensically just picking up a ball and throwing it repeatedly. And I say this all the time. This is how Latin players get better. If, if you go to the Dominican Republic in Puerto Rico and you watch those guys train, the coaching down there isn't that great. They just do it a trillion times a day that their bodies just figure it out. Um, and I like go back to like just that old school, just I'm just throwing up against a brick wall over and over and over and over again without even thinking. And my body just learned how to do it without having to be too analytical, without having a coach over my over my head at all times behind me telling me that I'm doing this or that wrong. Um I, I learned how to move and I became a better athlete because of that brick wall. Um, so like it, it, I, my, my story towards being able to play college baseball is interesting because I always go back to like literally just having a brick wall 
and I would even hitting, I would throw it up against a brick wall and however way it bounced back to me, that's how I was going to hit it. And I feel like that's how I ended up developing hand-eye coordination enough to like hit at the college level. That's awesome because I actually got into trouble all the time for throwing the baseball at the yeah, it's no joke. Of my neighbor. I I would get the chalk from the 99 cent store, the chalk, yeah. and I, I would make the square and I would color it in and then I would throw the baseball at the wall and I it, it, Dude, was, that's, it was I just that's did that, that every single day when I got home. So it sounds I, crazy. My neighbor but... if my neighbor I can hear my neighbor coming from the side because they're they have a gate before the actual gate to the brick wall. Yeah. To get in. So then when I hear that gate rattle, I grab my ball and I go in. <laughs> Because I know they're gonna yell at uh, me for throwing the ball at the wall. But that's like some like sometimes I, I just feel like as a youth player, and I'm probably talking to kids that are under the age of sixteen, where your motor skills are really like developing and you really aren't like strong and stable yet. I still think there's nothing better than just going out and not even thinking about throwing or hitting, just just doing it. Just flat out doing it repeatedly over and over. <laughs> And, and over again like there's again there's a reason why an island like puerto rico with only two million people have arguably three of the top five shortstops on the planet from one little country you know what i mean like that's mind-boggling but that's because they just for hours a day they just freaking just went out and did it and this is no joke my parents because i live in new england so it snows here in the winter my parents ended up buying a metal door and putting a strike zone on the inside part of the house. And we had this long hallway going towards the front door and they would, they bought me a rubber and like one of those mini mounds that you may see on turf fields. So I had a, yeah. mini, I had a mini mound indoors in this little tunnel with a strike zone on a metal door. Like I, I also need to applaud my parents for just like, they just said, screw it. Like screw this wooden door. Like let's get them a metal door so you can throw against something in the winter. That's so awesome. Oh isn't that, my god. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I like, can, like I, when that. you when you were saying that and explaining that, I I like was visualizing the hallway and the, the metal door and you just throwing it at it. Did you throw an actual baseball or did you throw like the like No, they got me those ball um, rec- They got me, you know those like rubber squishy baseballs? That's what I would yeah. throw. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would well, throw indoors. That's funny. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but growing up, we were told not to throw any uh, balls around the house. Or Dude, I broke I broke a TV. I broke our TV. I broke, uh, like, countless of, like, uh, glass china stuff in our house. Like, countless as a kid. Constantly, like, getting – and well, so here's the best part, and this is where my parents are a total blessing. I never got yelled at for it. They just like continually were, were like, just be careful. But they like still let me throw indoors. Uh, like, like you guys were way too kind. Uh, now looking back, like me just breaking stuff left and right. <laughs> oh, man. I think that's maybe that's when they came up with the idea of like, let's get a metal door and a hallway and just throw them in the hallway and just be like, just go. Stop throwing in the living room. <laughs> oh, man. 
Juan, thank you again for doing Thanks, the man. podcast. No, this was fun. I, I appreciate really it. appreciate it, brother. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you very much. I hope that you have a fantastic day. You guys, I hope that those of you who are listening had a fantastic uh, time with us on the podcast, tuning in, learn some stuff, and go and get after it now because knowledge alone is not power. Action and actually doing stuff with the knowledge is what becomes power. So go get after it. And like I always say, I'm not better than you. I'm learning with you. So let's dominate life and baseball together and get after it this week, you guys. See you next time.